On the block, on demand. They don't know about the kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win by 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take a shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! They didn't look into your heart, they didn't look into my heart! The Boston Red Sox are world champions! This is On The Block. Here is your host, Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7. ESPN Radio, Utica Row. You can hear us in the Mohawk Valley. Always great to be on in Utica. Great to be online. They do have the internet on computers now at ESPNSyracuse.com. You can listen via the ESPN app as well. That is a terrific way to get on board, listen to the program, take us with you wherever you go. Well, probably not very far today. We're all huddling inside in central New York. Currently 25 degrees here in Syracuse. Woo, baby. Arctic blast time. But it's very appropriate that it is cold, there is a layer of snow on the ground, and it feels like basketball season because we are coming off the heels of a opening game win for the Syracuse women's basketball squad. Great job by Brian Higgins on the play-by-play, as always. And then, of course, tonight at the Carrier Dome, well, we've got some men's basketball getting going, baby. So we've got a lot to talk about on that front. We've got football to get into. It is a football Friday on the block as well. And you can make yourself a part of all of it. Here's how you do that. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter, where the show never stops. And you can hit us via the on-the-block text line, 288-0644, is how you reach us there. So we've got uh, hoops to get into, certainly. We'll do the pick six. We will do the NFL Blitz coming up later in the program, do some hot takes, and do our show. Just starting a little bit late today after a Syracuse women's basketball. Don't you worry, Higgins. I will wait for box scores if you're reading them. But you're like the only person in the world that I will wait to do that for. Okay. So we'll get into hoops later as the Orange open up the season. Movie trailer music. In a world where Jim Beheim faces his son at the Carrier Dome, what will happen tonight, 7 o'clock? Uh, Seth, will have pregame for you, by the way, at 6, and we'll be taking your phone calls tonight on postgame as well. So, hey, Wake Forest, welcome to Syracuse, by the way. At <laughs> 25 degrees. Nice cold day, but uh, we'll all be inside for that one tomorrow. Uh, anybody know if Dungy's playing or what? The injury report came out last night. Eric Dungy was under the questionable department, which means he could play. Uh, Dino Babers, both on this program and on his radio show, and as you would expect, he flat out said on the show yesterday, along with a, you know correcting a great injustice and saying that he does not put ketchup on his hot dogs. Thank goodness for that. Thanks, Brent. I don't think I could handle Dino being a ketchup guy. I just, I, I, I was losing sleep over this, trust me. But now that is behind us. 
But he said on this show and on his radio program last night that, you know, I'm not going to tell you, you know, you don't want to tip your hand to your opponent. But he sounded a little less emphatic as he did earlier this week. He said earlier this week he will play. Since then, it's monitoring and seeing. And it's really going to come down to, and this is not Dino, this is me talking. These next 24 hours are pretty important. You know, 24 hours from now, this game will be underway at the Dome, which, by the way, circles back to an incredible thing that is going to happen, and that is a basketball game will be played tonight. It'll be over about 9 o'clock, and then after everybody files out, Pete Salo will work his magic, and they will transform that place for football. And it's incredible that they're able to do that. You've ever seen, like, those time motion videos that they do or have witnessed it or or worked it somehow, some way. It is incredible how they just flip that script, and you're going to walk in there tomorrow, it's going to be a football uh, facility. As of this moment, it's a basketball facility. Never underestimate the hard work that takes to be done. It is it is a small miracle that they can do that in the time that they do. So it's going to be a very busy 24 hours at the Dome, but for Eric Dungy, how you feeling now after taking it easy on the foot, not getting as many reps at practice this week? He knows the offense, and then you know it's a 3 o'clock game, so he can kind of get out of bed warm it up, do what you got to do, take care of things, get to the Dome. You know, they usually get there about two and a half hours before game time. I'm sure there'll be some sort of warm-up out of the public eye to see how he's feeling, and then he'll take the field as usual, and then we'll all be watching with Hawkeyes who's warming up and how, and it'll be a tweeted to death and monitored and cameras and everybody that has the opportunity to, will document this. And then 3 o'clock will come, and we'll all wonder. At the top of the broadcast is Matt Park on the radio and our good friend Wes Durham on the ACC Network will begin their broadcast, and they will inform us of the status of Eric Dungy, if not uh, put out there publicly earlier via reporting. These next 24 hours, it's actually less than that now, right? are going to be very important to Eric Dungy's status. Did the patience at practice, did holding him back, did the cautious approach work? And that's for this game. And if he plays, certainly he's not going to be 100%. And you know that Wake Forest is is going to come after him. They're going to hit him. He's an aggressive player. He's not going to play any less than he does. Uh, Certainly you would hope he'd be a little more careful and slide when needed. And, you know, you you're very important to this football team. You can't be out there playing, you know, doing your Mortal Kombat moves like you did against Miami. But there's something about Dungy when he gets on that field that he just plays the way he's going to play. So we'll all be watching that. This is an opportunity for Syracuse in the sense that, and I pick Wake Forest to win this game because I just think we're going to see a back-and-forth football game. You know, But again, I made that prediction not really knowing what Eric Dungy's status was going to be. John Wolford, as I have discussed this week, is one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the ACC and in the country, for that matter. He is a mobile quarterback. He is, you know, looking across each field at each quarterback. Eric Dungy and John Wolford do very similar things. But he's losing some key players little by little on that offense, which could affect what Wake Forest could do. I still think they can score. I still think that they can make things happen. I still think, you know, all things the way we think it could go, this is going to be a back-and-forth game. But you do need to know that Cade Carney's out at running back. Wake Forest has had some pretty productive guys in his place 
and Matt Colburn, who's got 437 yards. He's got three touchdowns. Uh, Arkeem Bird, freshman running back, has come in, had a 59-yard score. He's averaging just under six yards per carry. So and you add that in with John Wolford, and you make up for that loss of Cade Carney. We mentioned Greg Dortch. Dynamic freshman wide receiver, was well on his way to being all ACC rookie teams, certainly one of the best freshmen in the ACC. He got hurt before the Notre Dame game, didn't play the Notre Dame game. Wake Forest still put up 37 points on that team, and that was the first team to score more than 20 points on Notre Dame this year. Now, Wake Forest gave up 48 in that game. So Syracuse, if it's Eric Dungy, if it's Zach Mahoney, whoever it is at quarterback, you have to find, and, you know, Jesse Bates is out at safety for Wake Forest. They've got, a you know, a couple of, there's a couple holes in that dam, for sure, that Syracuse has got to take advantage of. You track back on Wake Forest, they can score, but they're giving up points. So, you know, they look at, you know, some of the, the scores and how they've beaten people. There was a couple 26-19 games in there, but you look at the last couple of weeks, you know, we're going to see some fireworks at the Dome. Syracuse is thinking about last year's game and thinking about having to play in the remnants of Hurricane Matthew, and it was just an awful weather day, and it just really affected how they could play their game. It was a 28-9 game, pretty ugly football game. They could just never get it going. Now they're back at home at the Dome. We'll see how attendance is. It's Military Appreciation Day on this Veterans Day weekend. And, of course, a big, big thanks to all those out there listening that are veterans that have served this country proudly. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So I'm wondering as much as anybody how Syracuse handles this game. Can they put a win in their back pocket and go into their last two? It really comes down to this, and it sounds simple. Will you go into the last two games having to win one or will you have to go into the last two games having to win both? You want to grab this win, this opportunity against Wake Forest tomorrow, but the answer to that question will come in the next 24 hours and how the right foot of Eric Dungy feels getting towards kickoff. I would anticipate we're all going to be feeling good tonight after a season-opening win by the Orange over Cornell, and that amazing storyline that'll be out there, Bayheim versus Bayheim. So we've got a lot to digest and take in and watch over the next 24 hours and change. Syracuse Hoops tonight, Syracuse Wake Forest starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Now, don't forget, by the way, that we will be at Shaughnessy's tomorrow starting at noon. Pre-game in it, baby. Shaughnessy's Irish Pub at the Marriott Downtown Syracuse will be there doing our pregame thing. Come have a cold one or maybe a warmed up one on a, on a, a, a you know, a, it'll be a cold tailgate tomorrow, baby. But hey, that's football weather. That's what we do, man. We'll be there. I'll be inside, by the way. I'll, I'll be nice and snug by the heater at Shaughnessy's. But come hang out with us and enjoy the pregame festivities. Uh, starting at 12 o'clock and kick off at 3, and you'll hear it over on uh, Brostad TK99 and right here on ESPN Radio AM 1200. I've got to say this, too, while we're on the college football front. This is an incredible college football weekend. This is by far the best college football weekend this year. Every game in the top 25 matters or is interesting or is just a game that if you were flipping around, you would stop and watch. Every one of them. Washington-Stanford, it starts tonight. 
That is a great Pac-12 game. 8-1 and Washington. Stanford just fell out of the rankings, but they're at home and certainly would love to play spoiler and try and work their way back into kind of a Pac-12 championship game situation there. Michigan State, Ohio State, two top 15 teams. Rutgers, Penn State, okay, that's not that interesting. Oklahoma State, Iowa State, two top 15 teams. Connecticut, Central Florida, I mean, Central Florida's 8-0. They're a 40-point favorite in this game. But it's interesting to see how Scott Frost continues to build that team. They lost the trophy. Yes, there's a trophy for Connecticut and Central Florida. Our friend Andrea Adelson at ESPN wrote a really great piece about this this week. You should read that. NC State, Boston College. Syracuse fans will have their eyes on that one as BC will be a tougher-than-expected game in a couple weeks at the Dome. Arkansas, LSU, good meaty SEC game there. Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech in the ACC. Georgia-Auburn, one of three games that match top 10 teams. Florida State at Clemson. Now, that's a little shine taken off that game. We thought that would be, you know, the boombastic time ACC-Atlantic clash. But, you know, Florida State's coming off a win, and can they pull the upset at Clemson? Iowa-Wisconsin, good meaty Big Ten game there. USC-Colorado, Washington State-Utah, both Great Pac-12 games there, and I know that Colorado's 5-5, five and five, but Utah's 5-4, and four, but they're both at home. Colorado could pull that upset, and Utah always seems to pull off an upset like that, particularly at home in the tricky altitudes of Utah. The air raid offense in Washington State comes in there. Alabama-Mississippi State, 2-16, versus 16, and that's like the fourth most interesting game in college football this weekend. Notre Dame-Miami, of course, Catholics versus convicts, and I know some people kind of roll their eyes at that because this Miami team doesn't kind of fit that description from the 80s, but it brings back those feelings. It's the first time since 1989 that these two are facing as top 10 teams. TCU-Oklahoma is a spectacular game. I mean, tomorrow is just a meat and potatoes college football day. Cannot wait for it. And we started off a little college hoops tonight as the Orange tip-off against Cornell, which we will discuss a little bit more later in the show. 437-7644, Brent Dax Media on Twitter, the text line 288-0644. We will kick it off with some hot takes coming up after this. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Is this a new one on the 80s, Bump? I think it's a new one. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I'm wrong. I know we're going. Okay. Yeah, uh, okay, this, uh, uh, we'll let this one go. Olivia Newton-John once in a while. Not bad. Just Let's just get to the point here. Let's just get physical. There you go. Here she goes. Nope, I was wrong. Not bad. You know, it's, it's okay. It's like a C in the 80s bump. It's okay. Uh, if you don't want to listen to the 80s bump, you can listen to our shows on podcast. Now is she getting to the point? Ah, there it is. Uh, thank you, Olivia. Good, good, good to see you. Um, uh, the podcast, yeah, search ESPN Syracuse and iTunes and subscribe to get the best of our show sent right to your phone or computer. Be hip on the iTunes, man. Orange Nation in the booth with Matt Park on the block with Brent Dax. Hey, that's me. The Daniel Baldwin Show, it all gets sent to your phone in podcast form so you can listen on demand. It's like a radio DVR. It's a beautiful thing. Hit me with that fancy open. Let's do some hot takes. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. 
Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Oh, we need some hot takes on a cold day in central New York, don't we? Two big things uh, came out of Thursday night football last night, other than the highlighter uniforms that the Seattle Seahawks were wearing. Uh, one is that Russell Wilson's... Now, I, don't even, I hesitate to even call it an injury. Did he go through concussion protocol? They put him in the tent, and then he came out of the tent. And, well, well here's what he said about it last night. Well, I got smacked in the jaw pretty good there. Um, and uh, so I, I wasn't concussed or anything like that. I felt completely clear. I was just trying to move my jaw. I was like, oh, man, stuck. You know, and uh, I, I think I was kind of like laying down on the ground for a second just trying to get my jaw. I think Walt thought maybe I was, you know, uh, maybe, maybe that I was injured or something like that. And so uh, I told him I was good. I was good. And he said, hey, you just got to come off the field. You know, I think he, I think Walt did a great job, first of all. I mean, he made the smartest decision. I was fine, though, uh, 100% fine. NFL concussion policy states that a player believed to have concussion symptoms cannot return to, quote, practice or play unless a team physician and an independent neurological a neurological consultant, pardon me, clears them. Teams can be fined if the league finds that they did not follow protocol designed to ensure medical clearance before any player returns to the field. It happened in the third quarter, and the Seahawks' 22-16 win over Arizona. Wilson took a hit from linebacker Carlos Dansby, as he mentioned, on the chin. Now, with backup quarterback Austin Davis in the game, the NBC broadcast showed Wilson running to the sideline, sat down in the area where the tent would be pulled over him. But he got back up before medical officials had a chance to uh, join him in the tent. And then he replaced Davis after one play. Said the National Football League, a thorough review is underway. According to the policy jointly developed by the NFL and NFLPA, if the concussion protocol is not properly followed, the club is subject to discipline. See, that's the thing. You know, players know how they feel and, Russell Wilson sounded okay after the game, but see, this is why they have these protocols in place. You don't get to make that decision that you're okay. That's why you get looked at. They go through the checks, and even then, some of these concussion protocol tests and who makes the call and who doesn't have been a little iffy. The other big thing that came out of that game, injury-wise, Richard Sherman is done for the year. With a ruptured Achilles tendon, he will miss the rest of the season after suffering that injury in the game, also in the third quarter last night. Sherman, who has never missed a game since entering the NFL in 2011, said his Achilles has been bothering all season and that he tried to avoid making any drastic cuts. So there's the old playing hurt thing, playing through things. You know, are you hurt or are you injured, right? That's the big difference. If you're hurt, you can get out there. If you're injured, we got to take you out. Sherman has been one of the biggest critics. He wrote a piece on the Players' Tribune last year, has been a Stop me if you heard this one before. Sherman has been a vocal critic of something, in this case, Thursday night football. So it's kind of ironic that he goes down on Thursday night football, being that he's one of the biggest critics of that. Now, this just adds to, look, this just in, people get hurt in football. I understand that. But somebody with more time on their hands on this than me should go through this and see and, and measure somehow if this is one of the most significant years when it comes to star players, commercial players, meaning guys in the commercials that have gotten hurt. Let's just go through the list. And I'm probably not going to hit them all, but I think we'll get the big ones here. Sherman, 
Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers, Odell Beckham Jr., Brandon Marshall, Zach Miller, Jason Peters, Joe Thomas, J.J. Watt, Eric Berry, Delvin Cook, David Johnson, Darren Sproles, Ryan Tannehill, Julian Edelman, Allen Robinson. That's insane. That that list right there, big-time franchise quarterbacks, highest-paid players in the league, you know, franchise players, stars of commercials, faces of football, you know, a rookie quarter, uh, uh, pardon me, a rookie running back, everybody took in their fantasy league and then was out after three weeks. Big time names there. You know, football is that That's old war of attrition and injuries happen, but this has got to be the most significant injury year that I can remember for big, meaty names, just names that mean something to the league. And is that affecting ratings too? I mean, you can anthem protest me this and, you know, things that have affected the quality of play has been bad, but is that partially why the quality of play has been bad? When a list like that of your best players is going down, it's going to affect quality of play. Ben Simmons, now of uh, your Philadelphia 76ers, made some interesting comments about his time in the college game. Let's take a listen. I mean, if we didn't, a lot of people would be losing money. So yeah. I think that's the main reason. Um, obviously, NCAA, if they didn't have the stars coming through, then people wouldn't be watching. If I was as talented as you, would I see a point in that six or seven months of being there? And I think no. I think I would have learned a lot more being around professional athletes. Looking at it now, I don't even really know what I learned financially or um, just being a person at LSU. Yeah. I think I've learned a lot more with this whole year uh, being in Philly and being a pro. Uh, than I did at LSU. So that's Ben Simmons, and he's not wrong. I think we all know why the one-and-done system is in play. And that's something when I, I talked to John Wildhack the other day on the Syracuse Sports Podcast that he he's in favor of getting rid of the one-and-done rule. Now, that's an NBA rule, but they would certainly solicit and get the advice of college administrators and coaches about this and how much would that affect the sport. Ben Simmons said it right there. He is not wrong. Even one-and-dunners bring stars into college basketball. They make it interesting. Now, what's noteworthy about that is Ben Simmons didn't even play in the tournament. He didn't even bring LSU into the NCAA tournament. So maybe you would watch an LSU game more than you normally would on a random January night on ESPN or something like that. But you've got to take some of that blame though as well. I mean, these are young men and they have to be guided and shown the way. And as the great chef from South Park once said, there's a time and a place for everything. It's called college and we all know why these guys are there. But it that just sounded a little too, first of all, you participated in it. So, you know, caught, uh, pot calling the kettle black there in a sense. And once you get to college, and I understand that these guys have been coddled a lot of their lives and told how good they're going to be, and everybody kind of knows the arrangement no matter what school you're in, but you got to grow up at some point, right? Like, i, I got to tell you, I read a, and I'm a couple weeks late on this one. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I get Sports Illustrated, and yes, I still subscribe to Sports Illustrated, the actual magazine. And I fall behind on reading them, but I had a little time this morning, and I picked up the college basketball preview, which I had kind of thumbed through. But I read a terrific piece, and I could not recommend it more, on Miles Bridges from Michigan State, who is by far, when you look at these preseason lists that are out there and, and people are naming you know players of the year and 
the all this team, the all that team. I mean, this guy could have been a lottery pick last year, but of all the players that have returned to college basketball this year, he was the biggest surprise. People are looking at it saying, what are you doing back here? Because he's that good. But in reading the article, and Michael Rosenberg, I believe, is, is who wrote this, he wasn't ready to go pro. He liked college. He liked the friends that he was making there, the spiritual connections that he was making. And there was a, a part of that article where it just said, like, he had to call home and, and tell his mom, like, I've only got three pairs of clean underwear right now. Just like the basics of life, you know, learning to live on your own and, and you know, not have to rely on mom and dad for everything. That's what you do in college. Just because you have all this talent and you've got all these people doing this stuff for you, I mean, you still got to live. And when you're in the NBA, you're on your own, you're traveling, you're in hotel rooms, you've got all this money all of a sudden, you've got all these people that are trying to, you know, latch on to you. And it's not just money, it's just they want to be in your, you know, your posse, in your inner circle, in your entourage, whatever it is. There's a lot to learn about being a professional basketball player. And one year in college just isn't enough to do it. So, you know, I appreciate Simmons' honesty there. He's not wrong on some of those counts, but you also have to put it on the player. Right? They can't hold your hand through the whole process. Although we all know the, the deal here. We That's all know hot. The arrangement here. But there's a few players that are, are starting to buck that trend a little bit, want to stay in college another year. Tyler Lydon is a great example of that. We'll see how successful he'll be, but he could have gone to the NBA after one year. Would have been picked in the first round, but said, no, I, I want to develop my game. I like college. I want to be here. Enjoyed himself a little bit more. Wanted to be ready. He wanted to feel he was ready to go. And I think a lot of these guys leave after one year because they feel like they have to, because they feel like that's what the system is when you don't have to. And again, injury is always a consideration, but if Miles Bridges goes out there and, and just carbon copies what he did last year, he's a top five pick. But how about this concept? He can get better. He can lead his team to a national championship. He can. And by the way, in that article, his mother begged him to go. Usually moms want you to stay in school, right? Get your education, go to school, go to college, right? His mother wanted him to go to the NBA. He actually, you know, when he had to make that phone call, was hesitant to do it because she, I, she had some... She wanted to retire from her job, and she had some medical expenses. She had a big surgery that she had, and she's like, who's going to pay the bills, and we got to take care of your sister, and it was a really good article. Again, it's like two weeks old, so I'm way behind on this, but despite all that, he said, no, I want to go to college for another year. So it's just good to note that Ben Simmons can say that, but there's a lot of guys that are starting to recognize, I don't have to do this this way, and they're not going to have to do it that way I don't want to put a time frame on it, but I think that one-and-done rule in the next four years is going to go bye-bye. So the Yankees still need a manager, and there's a lot of names that are being thrown out there. Was this one that crossed your consideration as a Yankees fan? And I hesitate to even say the name because of a certain middle name that us Red Sox fans tend to attach to this name, so I better have my hand on the dump button here as I say it. But Aaron Boone otherwise known as Aaron Bleepin' Boone, who hit one of the most famous home runs in Yankees history, yeah, 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 yeah. and has served as an analyst on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball the past two years, is among the candidates to be the next Yankees manager, according to sources. 
An interview has not yet been scheduled. Uh, that's according to ESPN sources. The only candidate to interview for this job so far was Yankees bench coach Rob Thompson, who met with Yankees executives for about six hours on Wednesday. Brian Cashman has not specified how many people he plans to interview or his timetable. A former Yankees, David Cohn and John Flattery, who are both analysts on the team's Yes Network, said Wednesday that they would like to be considered. So that's three broadcasters. Not a uncommon thing to note here that broadcasters want to come out of the booth and get back in the game. But it's interesting that Cashman would go down that road, would look at those guys. Is he going to go unconventional? Is he just going to plug in the obvious thing? And this is one of those managerial moves. I mean, I've brought it up. Yankees, one game away from the World Series, clean in house. Red Sox, two straight division titles, cleaned house. The Cubs, NLCS appearance, with the exception of Joe Madden, clean house. Washington Nationals, didn't get past the divisional series again, clean house. Dusty Baker gone, goodbye. And a lot of these teams are putting in managers that they feel that they are essentially the GM is the manager by extension. They're putting in guys that are more analytics-based, that will do things by the numbers, that will do it the way the front office wants it to be done in the modern way. So do any of the names that I just mentioned for the Yankees fit that? And remember what Cashman said. He didn't feel that Girardi connected with his clubhouse. He didn't feel that, which, do you want that, by the way? I mean, I always, and I know this is really old school and it's kind of an extreme example, but I always think of Herb Brooks. I always think of the movie Miracle. When Herb Brooks introduces himself to Team USA and he says, I'll be your coach, I won't be your friend. You want a friend, that's what Patrick here is for. Craig Patrick, the assistant coach. Girardi led that team for 10 years and you no, know, he wasn't you know, warm and fuzzy with these guys, but is that what you want? Sometimes the authoritarian way works. Now you want to respect your players, you want to feel like you can talk to your players, even Jim Beheim. And a great piece that Mike Waters wrote earlier this week said that he listens to his players more. He talks to them more. He connects with them more as opposed to my way or the highway. No, Bayheim's still going to lay down the law. If you don't do it his way, you're going to get that glare and you're going to get that the seat of shame next to him on the bench. But he thinks he's opened up in more recent years. And it's just it's a different generation of players professionally in college. This drop the hammer thing, it can work, but... Over the long term, you're better off being a Steve Kerr-like coach. Know your stuff, but understand analytics, understand how to speak to millennials, understand how to relate to them. And Some people kind of roll their eyes at that, but, you know, that's just the new generation. That's just the new way to do it. So when Cashman picks one of these guys, and if it is Boone, Cone, Flattery, is it because they understand the modern athlete? Because of the way they've covered the game and have talked to these guys day in and day out? I mean... Did they essentially fire Girardi because he was too old school? And on that note, we'll take a break. We've got some SU hoops to talk about as they tip it up tonight. We've got five big questions on the orange that we will ask. We'll break out the voice guy for it and everything. Number one. Yes. Orange and Wake Forest at the Dome tomorrow. The pick six, the NFL blitz, a lot to do. Hang in there. Thank you. Bye-bye.